You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. But if you will stand with me as we stand on God's Word, I want you to notice the difference. Now, the difference is uh, the first three verses and then about the last four. But in the middle, we're going to hear that familiar story. But most of our time, we'll spend looking at what what God's doing and what God's saying to Peter and to us in those early verses and then in those last verses. Here's what it says. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing uncommon or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, which we were and sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. Now, I'm going to pause for a second. Verse 12 is important because it shows that Peter was doing something here very unusual. He was stepping outside of his comfort zone, so he had six brothers with him as witnesses. Very interesting. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's pray. God, we ask for you to reveal to us in this moment today, in this now that you have given us, Lord, all the ways that we need to surrender to you and humble ourselves before you, that we may be the most effective believers moving forward. In this room are people who can change the world. But in this moment, Lord, as we worship and as we listen to your word, we pray, God, that you will help us to repent and to find your will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. God has a wonderful plan for our church, and he has a wonderful plan for you. But the question is, will you find it? I have no doubt that God has greatness for you, that his plan for your life can not only give you a better life, but can make this a better world. Again, the question is, will you find it? 
I believe that the only way you will find it is if in each moment that God gives you to reflect on your own sins and to realize your shortcomings, you repent. The Acts of the Apostles, the the book that we're in, is showing the church in transition. Literally, everything you see happening is, in a sense, new. Peter's words, his, his leadership is taking these people who have worshiped God a certain way for many, many years in different directions. So here's something to think about. New directions require divine confirmation. When God begins to do a new work, Among us, we need a little bit of divine confirmation. And God speaks to Peter, and he speaks to the other leaders in the church, and he's giving them a vision, but it's a vision that is going to require a lot of faith, people moving in new directions. As a pastor, it is my job to preach the word and preach from the word with with, with all the strength that I have. But another role of a leader, as we see in Peter's life here in the middle of Acts, we see that part of a pastor's job is to get that vision from God and to move forward. So today, as I'm talking through this text, I want you to see that this text is giving me some direction as a leader and giving us some direction as a congregation as it relates to change, those pivot points in our lives and in the ministry God has called us to do. I've been saying for the last couple of weeks that the church is truly on a pivot point. Uh, Peter's interaction with Cornelius is one of the most important passages in Acts and one of the most important moments in Bible history because it's in this moment that the pivot takes place from the religion that we read about in the scriptures for being mostly Hebrew-centric and Jewish-focused. Now, all of a sudden, we see that there is no doubt that the message is for the entire world. That makes perfect sense to us because that's how we think today. Ridgecrest is a church that thinks in a global way. You've been trained to think that way. But the people in this text were not trained to think that way. They were trained to think about uh, the Hebrew world and keeping certain rules and going uh, to the temple and offering sacrifices and remaining clean. All of that serves as the background of this text. So when Peter starts eating with Gentiles, when he starts sharing the gospel with non-Jewish people, he's got some explaining to do. And that's what we see here in the text. In the early verses, we see the brothers and sisters in the church in Jerusalem calling Peter on the carpet. Notice the word criticism pops up in there. We're going to talk about that word criticism. It is part of the equation. And Peter shows us how we deal with change going on in our lives and in our church and how we do so and bring glory to God. So listen to this. To find God's will, church, we need guidance from the word and confirmation from the body of Christ. God will show us in the word what he wants us to do, but he also works in the congregation in and through elders and deacons, but also just everyone in the pews, all of us together, we, we will sense that this is where God is moving us. A few weeks ago, I talked about planting seeds in the snow. And now you know it's not going to grow for a while. I really think this sermon is, again, another one of those passages where we're planting some seeds in the snow and we're asking God now to prepare us for what's next. But before we get to next, let me tell you what happens in the now. When we try to find God's will for our lives and for our church, there will be criticisms and casualties. Criticisms 
and casualties on the front line. Now, going back to the text here, we see basically what's happening is these early Christians had all been brought up in faithful Jewish homes, which means they had been taught the scriptures and taught the law. Now, very quickly, if you know anything about the Old Testament law, it basically had two categories. The first category was the moral law. Think Ten Commandments. God has never compromised on the moral law. That has never changed. But the ceremonial law, that's what Jesus fulfilled. The ceremonial law was the way that a person could approach God and have their hearts made clean. And we read the book of Leviticus. In fact, if you are really needing to take a good nap this afternoon, eat a big meal, read the book of Leviticus, and you're set. It's a hard book to read because it's so foreign to us. We don't think about our faith in terms of having to sacrifice animals. And like, you know, a big question every week is, who's a leper? And what are we going to do to clean our house? Well, that's the book of Leviticus, things like that. And you're going, what in the world is going on? It's hard to, to grasp. The reason it's hard to grasp is because we have removed ourselves from the ceremonial law because Jesus fulfilled that. Well, at this point, though that had happened, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection had fulfilled the ceremonial law. The people, the people in, in the church hadn't fully understood that. And you can get it, right? Like, this is a major change. If this was a major part of your life every day, worrying about being ritually clean, it's hard to just flip a switch and no longer care about that. But because of what Jesus did, that's what had to happen. But notice who gets shook up first. The leader, the preacher, Peter. Peter had to get shook up. He had to have the vision. God had to begin to speak to him in a very clear way. Before the church was going to change, the leadership had to be changed. In the now, Peter had to repent because he was calling things that Jesus had made clean through the cross unclean. That's why it says in the text, don't call things unclean that I have made clean. Peter is being rebuked by the Lord. So he listens. He allows the word of God to speak to him, and he begins to reach out to Cornelius, who is a Gentile. Verses 1 through 3 tell us that the Jewish folks did not like that. The apostles and the brothers, they were really struggling with this because he had gone to hang out with Gentiles. That was something that was not good. So look at verse 2. It says, the circumcision party criticized him. Now, I know the language is obscure there and a little weird for us, but that's the way in the Bible it's describing those people who were, were, were appreciative of what Christ had done, but trying to hold on to the Old Testament ways because the sign of the covenant was circumcision. So that was a way for those in the early church to say, okay, these are people who are still Old Testament in their focus. So those who were still Old Testament in their focus, those who were struggling with the new ways that Christ had revealed, uh, criticize. Peter, verse 3 says, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So it's not just that you're saying things, but you're actually acting in a way that's offensive to us. Now, don't take this lightly. If you go into someone's home who has different traditions than you, and you're aware that those traditions are different, and you are trying to offend them, you're a bad person. That You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go out of your way to offend people when you know that they think differently than you. But that's not what Peter's doing. 
Peter is not trying to pick a fight. In fact, he is fighting God, right? God, God has to say, hey, Peter, quit arguing with me. In this vision, I'm telling you what to do. You need to change. You need to conform your ways to my way. So Peter's not trying to pick a fight. But notice in verses 2 and 3, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, those that were of the circumcision party, were certainly picking a fight. They were simply trying to understand this change. Now, I want us to pause for a moment. Listen to me now. Here's the deal. When big change is happening, we're going to have people question. I don't think that this circumcision party, these Jewish individuals who are upset with Peter, I don't think they're trying to be mean. I think they have legitimate concerns. I think they have the kind of concerns we would have if something big was about to happen, if we were changing in a way that was very different. So what do you do? Well, as we try to square up to reality here, let me give you some thoughts, okay? Because in this text, some crazy things are happening. Here's something to think about. When we serve the Lord faithfully and with boldness, we will face criticisms. If our church is serious about fulfilling the Great Commission, that's a big vision. That is a big ask. We're having to ask the congregation to stretch like they would never stretch before. If we stay local and stay focused on our own business, that'll be hard enough. But when we start trying to reach the world for Jesus, we are going to be facing spiritual warfare like never before. But we're going to face criticisms. Now, some of those criticisms are helpful and some of them are not so helpful. They're actually hurtful. So criticism is not all good, nor is it all bad. We need to be discerning. We need to watch out, but we need to be ready for the fact that such criticism is coming. So here's the question. How do we handle criticisms from brothers and sisters in Christ? Now I'm qualifying this criticisms from brothers and sisters in Christ, because Hey, guess what? Newsflash. If we're sharing the gospel with a lost world, we're going to get criticized by them automatically. We should never be surprised by the world standing against the gospel because that's what they do. But when we are facing criticisms from within, this is where it hurts. And I'm going to tell you, this is the hard thing. If you are in ministry and you have people around you that you love and care for and they are being hypercritical, that's hard to ignore. That's hard to deal with. And so here's a couple of things to just think about when you're when you're trying to find God's will and you're, you're facing some criticisms, first, it's this. To serve Jesus is to suffer for Jesus. I don't know where you heard that serving Jesus was easy. Because whoever told you that didn't know what they were talking about. Serving Jesus is a hard thing to do. Because it requires you to die to self and to be something different than the world. So just know that when you are facing criticisms, you could be wrong. I'm not saying you're always going to be right. But you also need to realize that, that it is hard to serve Jesus. And suffering for Jesus is just part of it. Another thing to consider is we can learn something from almost every criticism. I used to say that we can learn something from every criticism. Then I got criticized enough. I was like, no, that's not true. Sometimes criticisms are wrong, misleading, and demonic. Sometimes people are criticizing you and they don't know your heart, don't care about your heart, don't care about you. Sometimes that's true. Rarely is it true. Most of the time, when there is a criticism coming your way, in some way, shame, form, or fashion, you do deserve some of it. Now, I know, bless your little heart, you don't think you've ever done anything wrong. But if you'll humble yourself and really think about your attitude, listen, 
I, as a preacher, I can tell you. I can say the right thing 99 out of 100 times. I can say the right thing. And yet, half the time, I'm not effective because I forgot to smile or something. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. Sometimes somebody can say to you, you know, there's the criticism. What you said to me was true. The way you said it to me wasn't helpful. And you're sitting there going, the easiest thing in the world is to go, my goodness, I've just got to smile and make you think that everything's okay or whatever. It's all about you, you, you. Anytime you say that, it's actually all about you, you, you. But anyway, uh, we tend to be, uh, it's difficult. We become difficult when people start criticizing. But just know this, there's something to learn from every criticism, almost every criticism. If you listen, if you'll humble your heart. So what do we do when, when people in the church are questioning us? Well, first, it's okay, because sometimes it's going to be hard if we're serving Jesus. And second, you can learn. But I want you to listen. I know uh, the, uh, the people in this room, many of you have many, many more years, decades to serve Jesus. I hope you'll hear this. Many of you are going to become fatalities rather than casualties in the church. Now, hear me. There's a big difference between a fatality and a casualty. A fatality is dead. That means dead, gone. I know I can open up our church roll. Of course, now it's all digital, but we could open it up and look at the names. And there's over 5,000 people. Clearly, on any given Sunday, there's not 5,000 people attending worship. Many of those individuals that are on that list haven't been to worship in years and may not even consider themselves Christians. They at one time were, were baptized and said they followed Jesus, and they're not doing that anymore. Something happened. I can tell you that if you are serving Jesus, if you are serving Jesus with all your heart, you are on the front line of the battle. I can almost guarantee you, if you're serious about following Jesus, you will be a casualty at some point in the journey. You will be because anybody who's brave enough to be on the front line of battle is going to get wounded. But what I want you to hear is just because you're a casualty doesn't mean you have to be a fatality. You don't have to let those wounds remain. You have your brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't give up when somebody criticizes. You don't give up when you're wounded by the sins of another person. You must keep going. We are not a people who should be afraid of pain and suffering in this world. We follow Jesus who suffered, bled, and died for us. Amen? If we are going to be individuals on the front line of gospel ministry, we will be casualties, but only by God's grace will we be kept from being fatalities. And it sounds maybe over the top, but I'm telling you, it's not. In the United States of America, there are far more people on church rolls than there are in church pews on Sunday. And that tells me that somewhere along the line, some people, maybe some really good people, they allowed a wound to become mortal. Mortal to their faith. To the point where they said, I don't want God, I don't need God, I don't want to be around God. These things can happen. And if it happens, it's not that you walked away from the faith, it wasn't rooted. That's what we would say. When we look at this theologically, it's not have it and lose it, it's never had it. But I'm telling you, the wounds will make the difference. That will show us where we're at. So the point here is, look at verses one through three. 
Notice the fact that criticism and casualties come to Peter because he is on the front line of ministry. To serve Jesus is hard. But let me say this, one more thought here. Defend Jesus, your Lord and Savior, not yourself or your self-interest. One of the ways that we don't heal is we get defensive. We stop trying to grow because we're so hurt. We're trying to defend ourselves in front of other people. Listen, defend Jesus, fight for the gospel, but surrender any of that pride you have. More on that in a little bit. Now, look at verses 15 and 16, because if we're going to do these things, we need to remember what the Lord said. Jesus, in his ministry, faced grumbling. So here's the thing. Why would you think that you're going to stand for Jesus and say things for Jesus and not face grumblings? Jesus himself, preaching and teaching the gospel, had to deal with grumbling. We see that in Luke 5.30, Luke 15.2, Luke 19.7. I only mention Luke here because Luke wrote Acts and he wrote, you know, Luke. So in the gospel, if you were reading Luke's gospel and following it with Acts, you would know that Jesus had to deal with grumbling. That's exactly what Peter is going through here. The circumcision party, they are on the wrong side of the debate, but they have some legitimate questions. They're asking, why now are we going away from being a Jerusalem Jewish-centered faith to a Gentile worldwide faith? Remember what I've been telling you. This conversion of Cornelius is a hinge moment in the text. We see the ascension of Jesus as the first major moment in Acts. Then we have the day of Pentecost, and now we have Cornelius. The only other main event in Acts is the conversion of Paul. But all of these things are happening here because these are the game changers. This is what's making things change. After over a thousand years of tradition, the Christian church is changing things. The crescendo of Peter's defense is verses 15 and 16. Let's take a look at what's going on. He makes two claims to justify his actions. First, when, when things are happening and criticisms are flying in the church, one of the ways that we can justify what our actions and words are is, is the Holy Spirit falling on us. Now, that's what he does here. He says, the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just as it did with us. Verse 15. So one way that we know that we are in step with what God wants is that the power of the Holy Spirit is present. But if you've been around church long enough, you know that some people can have an experience and blame it on God. So how do you know it's truly the Holy Spirit? And that's the second point. Second, Peter recalled the words of Jesus. Look at verse 16. How he, Jesus said, John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We always can match our experiences with the word. If your experience takes you away from the word or is contrary to the word of God, then we can say that is not a move of God. But when the Holy Spirit works in your heart and it aligns with scripture, what that tells us is it could be God. The grace of God had fallen on the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit was there. And it matched up with exactly what Jesus had said. Now, let me take it one step further. I think we referenced this last week, but it's important to reference it again. Jesus himself had said that the ceremonial law was no longer valid. He said it. So this is not some abstract teaching that Peter or Paul or somebody in the church invented. Notice what the text says. Mark 7 
18 through 20, Jesus said, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Notice this parenthetical. Thus he declared all foods clean, and he said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. This is one of Jesus' more earthy and strong teachings, but it is a powerful teaching reminding us that these ceremonial laws were no longer the gold standard. The gold standard was faith in Christ and the blood of Jesus. That's what the Christians were called to do. They had to remember what Jesus said. There will be times in your life when you're facing criticisms, when you're trying to do God's word and God's will. And in those moments, you have to lean into the power of the Holy Spirit and you better have God's word in your heart. Listen well to your heart and those words that you've stored up, the words of Jesus, the words of the Psalms, the words of the prophets, those words will guide you. When I gather our elders together, one of the things I like to tell them, one of the phrases we use regularly is, it is important for elders at Ridgecrest to think biblically. And if that is true for our elders, it is true for each of you. When we are experiencing change and new things are happening, we need to be able to remember what the Lord said. I think that's another way of just saying we need to think biblically. Facing hard choices in life, yes. Always remember what the Lord said, and you will do well. His word is better than your word, and his way is better than your way. Think biblically. If we are going to do something great next, it will be in keeping with the scriptures, and it will be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some final thoughts, final words of wisdom here in verses 17 and 18. First, if Jesus tore down the wall, why would you build it back up? Verse 17, if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter is saying Jesus has tore down this wall and the circumcision party seems to be trying to build it back up. This would be a stumbling block. Can you imagine sharing the gospel with a Gentile world and requiring all of these Old Testament Hebrew requirements? The church could have never done that because that's not what it was about. The focus wasn't the laws of the, and the ceremonial laws. The focus was on God and who he is. And all of those ceremonial laws were pointing to Jesus. So the second thing is this. Don't stand in God's way. If the Lord is working in your heart and if he's working in the congregation, if, if the spirit of God is present and the word of God is being honored, the last thing we should do is stand in God's way. And finally, we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing to die to self. If we are going to truly allow God's will to be done at Ridgecrest and, and through each of us individually, we are going to have to die to self and be willing to change. Notice in verse 18, uh, Peter's critics, it says, fell silent. Um, and not only that, but they begin to worship and glorify God. Why? Because God has granted repentance that leads to life. They were able to see that God was changing people's hearts, and so they opened their hearts to be changed. Now, when we talk about what's now and what's next, God has a wonderful plan for your life. That's where we started, remember? That God has a wonderful plan for your life. God has a wonderful plan for Ridgecrest. But 
what God has planned for Ridgecrest is still in the future. We, we're still working towards that. We have a lot of work to, to, to do and a, a long way to go, perhaps. But here's the question. What do we do now? What must we do now? Well, the word is right there in our last verse. It's all about repentance. So let me just guide you in our invitation. I want you to hear these words, okay? And I know that sometimes when we get to the end of the service, we say, okay, God, what, what do you want me to do? Do I need to go forward? Well, let me give you three things to think about that fit well with all that we've said. I would say these are focal points of repentance for us as Christians today and we as a church. First, humility. Do we need to use this time of invitation to humble ourselves before the Lord and say, I want your will only. Peter had to change. The people at the church in Jerusalem had to change. They had to say, God, we want your will above all else. That requires humility. Perhaps you need to come to the altar and pray for flexibility. In other words, you need to say, Jesus I will change for your sake. Show me where I need to pivot, what I need to do different to be a more effective witness. If after a month or two you haven't shared the gospel at all, let me tell you, there's something in your life where you're not giving in. You're not being flexible. You're not listening. You're not allowing God to work. You need to come forward this morning and ask God to help you be more flexible so that you can be where God wants you. And then finally, something that we need to lift up to the Lord today is uh, tenacity. And we need to determine that we will go wherever God leads us. We will not let go of the dream God has for us. That requires tenacity, humility, flexibility, and tenacity. Those are the three things today that I want you to think about because those are the things that now have to be right we have to have the posture of prayer. You know, think about how hard it is as you get older, younger guys, you're not gonna understand this, but like even just like getting down on your hands and knees becomes a chore. We did CPR training this week and like we got down on our hands and knees and I was like, I don't like this. This hurts, my knees are hurting. You know, and, and, and think about it this way. The posture of prayer is almost always kind of down like that. I think that's because it is hard or harder. And I feel like that many of us, it's been a long time. Those muscles of prayer have not been stretched in a long time. It's a lack of flexibility. It really is. Or it's a lack of tenacity. We're just not pushing in. We're not stretching like we talked about last week for Jesus. These are things we need to take care of now. Repentance is not something for later. Repentance is now. And if we'll get this right, if we'll repent before the Lord, we'll find new, fresh life so that what's next will be powerful and able to change the world. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit ridgecrestbaptist.org.